Well, good morning, Sanctus Church, and welcome to Vision Sunday. For the last three weeks, we've been in the early part of the book of Exodus, walking with the people of God, living in a season that, well, they didn't want to be in at all. But as we've seen week in and week out, God moves in the darkest of seasons, the most broken of seasons, in the no way out season to get his people ready for what he's going to do next. And like I've said for the last three weeks, we need the now to do the next. Week one, if you were with us, we walked with Moses where he had encountered God at the burning bush and he was called profoundly by God. And then he gave all the excuses, five actually, why he couldn't do it and why Pharaoh was too strong and why his relatives wouldn't listen. And as we walked through that passage, there was two major takeaways. Maybe you remember it. Exodus 2.24, God heard the groaning and remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God looked at the Israelites and was concerned about them. And I said in week one, hey, Sanctus, this matters for us in this COVID-19 season, in this cultural moment, in this global financial uh uh-oh moment. It's not just God's concern about suffering, though, by the way, suffering moves the heart of God. We know that. But actually what moves the the heart of God, not more, but first, is his own promises, his own words. He cannot lie. He does not change. So before suffering and during injustice, the real place of movement from heaven first is God's promise that he has sworn by himself. And I was reminding us, we who make up Sanctus Church, that God remembered, oh, and then he acted in the broken season. And why does that matter? Because actually we know as a church, not because we're a better church or a bigger church, that God in his sovereignty has given us very specific promises. And God has not forgotten those promises in this moment, and God is going to keep doing them. Second, and most important, was when Moses was arguing with God, and there was all this conversation uh, and telling God why it won't work. The second thing we learned, and the second thing God said to Moses was simply this. It's in Exodus 2.12. God said to Moses, I will be with you. God is with us in this moment. God is going to fulfill everything he said and he's not abandoned us. So that was just week one. Uh, Week two, we walked through all 10 plagues, and that was quite an interesting experience, especially for some of us who grew up doing Sunday school. We'd never thought about the implication uh, of the plagues. Was it just to set his people free, though? Was it just what Pharaoh and his place will? Yes and yes, but actually, we got the real insight in Exodus 12, 12, where God said, I will bring judgment on the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. And we were reminded, even in this season, that Jesus has overcome all the demonic powers and gods of this world. And then I shared that we need to remember, just like Aaron and Moses partnered with God in that unwinnable season, we also, in this very dangerous time, and as we prepare for the next season, need to keep partnering with God. So when we walk into the next season, we'll be stronger and holier and more unified and more loving and more empowered by the Spirit. And remember, I asked this question, what has God placed in your hand? And what has God placed in my hand? And the answer is, we have the power to say no to the gods of Egypt. James 4, 7. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. He must flee. Personal holiness matters, even when we're anxious, fearful, or tired. Remember, we talked about as a whole church, Ephesians 4, 26. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And don't give the devil a foothold. And we talked about we can't participate in habitual sin in this moment and give the devil a a foothold in our church to cause chaos. We we just, we got to say no. And lastly, we talked about this really difficult time and there's so much above our pay grade. 
like so many things that we don't even know what to do. And we know from scripture that behind much of this, well, our principalities, powers, rulers, and authorities that have great power. And we just feel like totally overwhelmed. And we learn from Paul, when Paul, the great missionary, the great theologian, was trying to visit a church in Thessalonica, it literally says he was physically blocked by Satan time and time again. And so Paul prays this amazing prayer in 1 Thessalonians 3.11. Now may the God and Father himself, our God and Father himself, and the Lord Jesus Christ clear a way for us to come to you. And so we encourage the church to say, God, God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, you got to start clearing stuff up in the heavenlies. We can't see because if you don't, we're done. Then last week, we were at the Red Sea, the epic moment. And what was so wild about that is God set his people free. They got to the open door. And then he says, no, I want you to stay in the really sucky season longer. And they're like, you got to be kidding. We got to get out of here. And he's like, no, no, I want you to go back because I want my glory to be even more. And I want you to see me take out your enemies. And so they're at the Red Sea. The Egyptians are coming. There's no open door. And then there's this moment where Moses says to the people, you're not going to see your enemies ever again after this moment. But Moses, being a good human being and a leader, goes back to check in just one more time and starts praying. And God's response to him is so hilarious and so needed. Why are you crying out to me? Why are your prayers filling my ears? Why? I've already given you the answer. Tell the Israelites to move on. And what I said last week is, God is saying the same thing to us. During this wild season, God's saying, don't just pray anymore. It's time to start moving. And so today we're going to address three different ways that this church in this very difficult season is going to move forward with God. We're going to talk about reopening and what that means and what it doesn't mean or what it might mean. <laughs> Two, we're going to talk about a new open door moment that we really believe is not just culturally invented, but God-given. And we're going to talk in depth about biblical multiculturalism and how we're going to work this out over the long term. So this is a very important message. We're so glad you're here. And Dave... Let's get going. Thanks so much for that, John, and appreciate where you've taken our whole church over these last three weeks. It's been, you know, it's just amazing for us to get ready, even for, for this time and for our time today together. Well, by now, all of you have heard, and it's no surprise uh, that we have announced that we are not meeting physically together until at least January. Uh, that's a decision that we've made. We've been uh, watching what's been happening in the schools. We've been listening to the government and uh, all of the information that seems to come out from there, uh, even weekly, almost daily, daily sometimes. Yep. Yeah, announcement after announcement. And, you know, we're uh, watching for the potential of a second wave and maybe a third wave. Who, who knows what's happening? But, you know, at, at the root of all of this is we want our experience when we do gather together as a church to be church. Yes. We want to sing together. We want to worship together. We want to hang out together. And so we know that a lot of people are not comfortable, but also we want to be really careful and we want to make sure that your safety is uh, top of mind for us. And so uh, we're monitoring that as we go along. I know a lot of you are asking why and why not, and, sure. and depending on who you are, but uh, we're monitoring that. But we will not be meeting physically until at least January. 
And so what we're doing, just so that you're all aware, so that we can give you an inside glimpse into what we live with, yeah, sure. is we're looking at three timeframes right now. Right. We're, we're looking at basically, you know, from now until the end of the year to December 31st and trying to monitor everything that's going on in there. And then we will take a look at the next timeframe, which will be January through to Easter. I mean, wouldn't it be amazing if we could celebrate Easter together, if we were able to gather physically yeah. together and, and celebrate, you know, the, the life, the death and the resurrection of our Savior. But who knows right now? Right. We're not sure and we're unclear about that. And then from Easter right through to the summer will be another season where we're planning and looking at that particular season. But here's what I want you to really hear clearly uh, this morning together at Sanctus Church is, you know, while we're not having worship services in person together, it doesn't mean that we're doing nothing as a church. Right. Far from it. Uh, there's a lot of things going on. And so we want to just share some of the things even right now with you that are happening and some of them in new ways for all of us. Right. So, so let me talk about uh, Alpha first. Uh, I know Alpha is so near and dear to our hearts as yes. a church because uh, we believe in Alpha and, and we use Alpha to, to, to reach people with the good news of Christ. Last year, John, 266 people took Alpha. Yeah, incredible. In person. Uh, but also virtually online. Yeah, and you were you actually were a host on the virtual. Yeah, online. I was a host on the virtual, and you know it's kind of kind of funny at first, but right. but it worked really well. It was like super easy, uh, you know, to move people through all the different stages. You know, the the main talks, the video, and then right. into the groups. And so we're we're committing to that. And so what I want you to hear is that we are launching Alpha again, and on September the 29th, uh, we will be launching Alpha. This is a great time for you to begin to pray and to invite. Right. And Ask the Lord, who do I need to invite to Alpha? Because we're doing Alpha and we're going to do it virtually. And I think, you know, Dave, just before we started this, you had just said, imagine if we were meeting as pastors five years ago. Yeah. And, and you were saying something like, imagine if we could get our whole country to think about eternity yeah. and life and death and what we put our, our life in and trust yeah. and money. And wouldn't that be amazing? And it's here. We're here. <laughs> and this is so important yeah. we catch this because... More of our neighbors, more of our family, yeah. more of our friends are asking the big questions. Yeah, for so, sure. So be brave. Invite someone to Alpha yeah. virtually. And, and if you think in your mind, oh, they won't come because it's virtual, yeah. don't say that. Yeah. See what God's up to. Yeah, for sure. The other thing we want to talk about is connect groups. In mm. this church, uh, we double down on these because <laughs> connect groups are small groups of gathering of people that talk about the sermon, pray with each other. We say all the time, if something bad happens to you, we want people in your connect group to connect, connect with you before a pastor even does, within 24 yeah. hours. And also, it's really important, a church of 3,500, someone needs to know where you really are spiritually. Right. And so connect groups are so important to us. Uh, we've been doing virtual and physical connect groups, depending on the season and the phase. But we want to say we are launching them and they're starting today. Yeah. And so right after this message, the hosts are going to tell you how to join a connect group. And if you are in a connect group, stay connected in your connect group. Right. For me, my connect group was a lifeline yeah. during the middle of the worst part of COVID mm -hmm. when I was really depressed and down and scared. They were so helpful to me. Right. And so in this, if there's a second wave or third wave, you need your people. Right. And they need to be Jesus followers. Yeah. And so right after today, even yeah. next week and beyond that, listen, Sign up and we'll tell you how to do that. And if you're watching, by the way, later or watching online later in the week, uh, reach out to us through any form, website, social media, and we'll connect you that way. Yeah. We had a really unexpected thing happen last year with this thing called a marriage course. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it wasn't part of our plan in no. terms of it was part of the 
preaching calendar, right. a preaching plan. Uh, in January, we had Nikki and Silla in, and yep. we did a three-week series on marriage. Uh, and out of that, we launched the marriage course. And we were like, oh, yeah, let's launch this. Yeah. This would be great this for some be people good. in marriage. Well, here's what you need to know. 416 people went through the marriage course last year. Incredible. I mean, that's just incredible. And we're so excited about that. We're so thrilled about that. And so uh, we are committed to the marriage course. And so I want to encourage you. Uh, you know, if you're a person who is married, uh, you need to take the marriage course. It doesn't mean that your marriage is in trouble. It doesn't right. even mean, you know, that, that you're having a rough spell or anything like that. It's just great practice to just invest in and build into your marriage. And especially during these crazy times right. that we're living in. And so we want to make sure uh, there'll be lots more information, you know, coming out on that, but it, it'll be launching on October the 19th. There'll be tons of information yeah. coming out, but make sure that you take the marriage course. Another thing we're really excited about is we will be launching freedom sessions virtually yeah. uh, also. And we had 56 people go through it last year. We've had like 350 people take it so far. Actually, uh, this is not a brag moment. This is just a celebration moment. Yeah. We're the we're the largest church in Ontario that's been doing this. Yeah. And this the Freedom Session is an intense long-term experience where you walk through personal brokenness, your background, historic pain, and see how Jesus and community can help set you yeah. free. So again, that's going to be launching virtually and, and maybe physically. We'll see yeah. how it works out. But that's launching in January. And we want you to know that and start praying about that because that's important. Mm -hmm. Also, one of our very significant ministries in this church is releasing prayer. Yeah. And we've had hundreds of people set free from the presence of evil. And it's been incredible to see how that's actually perpetuated renewal and revival. Mm -hmm. And so we will be reopening, re releasing prayer, and we'll be talking more about that uh, between now uh, and, and January. Uh, basically, as we're talking, we should just share this. It's our goal that at our permanent sites that we actually have access to, Ajax and Port Perry, uh, we want to run ministries. So there might be even some more ministries in part opening up beyond what we've just said in the next few months. And you'll yeah. hear about that. But I, I, I think it's really important you hear this because some of you are crying out for this. Yeah. It is our goal and our hope, because you've made reference to this, that we would love to begin in-person worship at our two permanent facilities, our permanent sites in January. Yeah. So we're striving towards, now, will it be like it used to be? Oh, oh not even close. <laughs> uh, you know, there's so many things. Yeah. But there will be an opportunity, unless of course there's wave one, two, three, and four, we don't <laughs> know, uh, to actually gather together in some form to worship. Mm -hmm. Now, that brings us to actually what we're experiencing right now. Yeah. So let's talk about this online thing right and all of it yeah I, again you know when we did plan to we we didn't we couldn't have predicted covid and we had no idea that was in and but we had uh in our plans a move to you know more virtual services right. and ways in which we could explore and then March came yes, and in one week we turned around everything from yes. meeting together and doing everything in, in physically being present to everything going online. And really what we did, and we didn't realize it at the time, John right. at all, but really what happened was we launched Site 5. Welcome to Site 5. <laughs> Welcome everyone to Site, Site 5. 5. Yeah, well, you fact, all made it happen. <laughs> yeah. Normally we'd be like, oh, we need a hundred volunteers to launch a site and we need all this money and we need a site pastor and stuff. And then our whole church, right. our whole church migrated over to the online presence. And really, uh, you know, we want to thank you for your patience and everything that you did to help make that a huge success. But that's where we're at right now. And so we're beginning and we have been answering or asking new questions Correct. and coming up with some answers to those questions. 
Um, right now, uh, there's uh, three ways that we're looking at this digital virtual experience. Uh, the reality for all of us right now is it's where we all go to church. Right. <laughs> There's really no other option at Sanctus. We have to meet Sundays at 9 and 1030 uh, online. And so we all do church together. And that's our current reality. And it's good. And it's a really good thing for us as a church. But we're thinking about in the future uh, when we are able to physically meet together and we're maybe getting to some of our permanent facilities, uh, then uh, the online digital experience is where we'll go when I actually can't go to church. Right. And for a whole group of people, like let's say uh, COVID went away, it was obliterated and we reopened everything sure. and we were meeting. For some people, we still need that digital, that online experience because they can't make it to church. They're traveling, they're a shift worker, sure. uh, they're serving, they're doing all kinds of things. And so the online experience is never going to go away. And so we are acknowledging that and we're investing in it towards that end. But we had a bit of an aha moment when mm -hmm. we met and talked about this as leadership. And that is we see a time coming probably in the not too distant future at yeah. all, where the online digital experience is where people will go to actually get introduced to Sanctus Church. Like think of it this way as like a virtual or a digital front door. That's, that's what we're going to experience in the future. This will be an opportunity for us to introduce new people to Sanctus without them ever physically showing up, yeah. but we can bring them through that virtual front door. Right. And that has huge implications, eh, yeah. John, for us? So this actually brings us to the God moment. This mm. brings us to the open door moment when there is no open door. Yeah. Because what's been happening for the last six months is more and more people have been reaching out to us and saying, oh, in my home, with my friends, with my family, yeah. we've been watching Sanctus. I even got a call the other day from Houston, a whole group of people have been watching. <laughs> wow. and, and this is happening time and time again. So as we've talked and prayed, uh, we believe that God is asking us to do something very strategic so we can thrive, not just survive in this moment. Mm -hmm. and, and this again, this really matters because like I announced that really scary stat last week, uh, within 18 months, one out of mm. five churches are gone. Yeah. So as literal thousands of churches are preparing their own funeral service, we're going, can we actually have momentum? And right. the answer is yes. So today we're excited to announce we're launching a new expression of our church called House Sites. Yeah. Now, we got to work what this is and what this is not. <laughs> right. And so everyone lean in. I'm going to take my glasses off so, <laughs> so you know this is serious. Now, what's happened is if you've been part of our church, you know that when we prepared Plan 2, we prayed. And we said to the Lord, where do you want us to play sites? And he actually gave us 10 locations. Right. It was Port Perry, Ajax, Pickering, Bowmanville, Lindsay, Peterborough, Coburg, Port Hope, Stouffville, Markham Border, Lower Oakville, North York, and Toronto. Those were the places. Yeah. What's happened during COVID is more and more people have been calling us unexpectedly from those locations going, we're meeting and we heard you're coming. We're already in our house. Yeah. Can we affiliate with you? Yeah. And we were yeah. like, only even four weeks ago, like, oh my goodness, maybe during this difficult season, God is opening and building bridgeheads in all 10 locations mm -hmm. in a way we never thought and at a time we never thought. So right. what we want to do is we want to launch what we're calling house sites. And we're going to take a moment, Dave's going to do this now, to help you understand the difference between what is a connect group what is a house site? And then what's a permanent site? And then we'll talk about the scale. Yeah. Yeah, that's great, John. And, and that will be an important distinction for everyone, you know, to really grapple with. Um, our connect groups, as John said a few moments ago, are, are the place where we connect small. 
And the whole idea there is to gather consistently with a group of people who know you, who understand and who see your spiritual journey, who know when you're going through some of the high highs and who are with you and there for you in a care perspective when you go through some of the low lows. And so you meet together. You also meet together, uh, you know, to... To talk about the sermon. Yeah, I, I almost said to dissect the sermon, oh. but nobody ever does that. Oh, no, I don't <laughs> okay. get any emails no, ever. No. Okay. <laughs> but this is where I know when our group meets, there's high care and, and high focus on doing life together. But then we sit down and we discuss all of the implications of the sermon yeah. and how it impacts our everyday lives. Yeah. And so, you know, there's, there's that coming together and sort of doing life yeah. together. It's almost like the spine of our church. Yeah, exactly. It's that interconnectedness. Correct. Yeah. And where we connect small. So we celebrate big and then we connect small. But what we're talking about with these house sites is we're going to, you know, celebrate big ish. Yeah, that's the best way of saying it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because obviously there won't be hundreds or thousands of people no, in no, those. No, there right? will not be. <laughs> yeah. Or we will be sending the government. To Unless America. you have a massive house. Well, right? then that's a yeah, different then, conversation. You know, then you can distance properly and do all of that. But really, what we're talking about is is coming together to celebrate. Yeah, to celebrate worship big, yeah. together and to celebrate big in that. So you're not going to be discussing the sermon, but you're going to be listening to the sermon. You're going to be coming under the teaching of the church. Yeah, We're going to be worshiping together, you know, with a whole other group of people. And so that is one of the things that, you know, we really need to do uh, and really need to think about. It's a distinction uh, against what we do in terms of the connect groups. Yeah. And so this then takes us to permanent sites. So our goal is not just to open house sites in the areas we're not currently at. Right. We need to open house sites in this period everywhere. Ajax, Pickering, Whitby, Oshawa, yeah. Bowmanville. Keep going because there are people who are going to go, you know what? I want to stay at home, me and my wife or me and my roommate, and we're just going to watch church. Right. There's other people who are like, oh my goodness, John, this is so good news. Thank you, Dave. And you're going to meet in like 10, 15, 20 people, maybe in a home, again, depending. Yeah. There's going to be COVID guidelines. Don't worry. We've yeah. got them where you'll celebrate big-ish. And then when permanent sites start coming back online, some of those house sites will fold back into the permanent sites. Yeah. But then that will show where all the bridgeheads are. Now, because right. I'm the visionary guy and I get real <laughs> excited, I also need to say something else that really matters. Uh, there are people connecting with us beyond the 10 locations. Right. And so we've heard like Sobo Beach and, and Tilsonburg, and we just keep getting these calls. Yeah. So we just want to say, if you're outside of the 10 locations and you think that actually you might also have opportunity with mm. groups of people to run a house site, we want to hear from you too, yeah. because our suspicion is that the Spirit of God is up to something much larger than we know. Right. So house sites, connect groups, permanent sites, and our goal is to launch house sites soon, not yeah. like in January, like real soon. Yeah. So you'll have, by January, you'll have what? Three options. Stay at home, go to a home, come to a permanent site, or depending what happens with COVID, who knows? But yeah. we're going to try <laughs> in those yeah. uh, three uh, locations. Yeah. The last thing to say also, I should say is, we want permanent sites in all 10 locations. Yes. Yeah, this is not some, it's just me and Jesus on a screen. Right. Or a few people. We need to take communion together, worship together. Yeah. Be with pastors and leaders. We need to volunteer, share the work together. Yeah. So the goal is, even if a house site forms in Oakville, that's just the transitional moment. Right. To something later. Yeah. And we just need to say that, but we need to know you exist because we want to give pastoral oversight. We want to equip you yeah. and begin to understand how we do this well together. Right. So we've got reopening and we've got digit, the digital church and we've got house <laughs> sites. And now we got to talk about another very significant thing, which is biblical multiculturalism. Right. We're in this grand cultural moment, uh, the murder of George Floyd. 
brought the world's attention to this. Mm -hmm. uh, a black man is killed just because he's black by a system that it was set up to do that. And, and it has just brought the whole world's attention to something that is not new, mm. but it's, it's brought it to such a crystal clear moment. And so as a church, we've been grappling, not only how do we address that, but how do we address the 50 nations that make up our church yeah. in the most multicultural city on earth and do this well? And like I shared with you in the staff, I think yesterday, Dave, there's so much happening on social media and in culture that is transitional language. Yeah. And what we need to do is I want to call the church back. We want to call the church back yeah. to eternal truth. Right. And that's why we're calling this biblical multiculturalism. Has this been a tough season during COVID? Yes. Mm -hmm. Has it been much tougher for people of color? Yes. For yes. the black community? A hundred thousand percent. Right. No debating it at all. Pain, grief, tired, overwhelmed. So I want to start this conversation with a little bit of history because most people actually have not been in this church for a long time. Mm -hmm. And I've had the privilege or the pain of being here for 23 <laughs> years, depending on the day. Um, I became, I used to have the title senior pastor in 2005. Yeah. And uh, this church was predominantly white, uh, very white. And um, so was basically Durham at that point, but it was transitioning. And we had an opportunity to move our church east and sort of move that way. And I stood up actually right there. <laughs> and I said, God has not asked us to move and we are not going to commit the sin of white flight. And most people in the audience didn't know what it was talking about. Mm. Some people did and they left the church. But white flight is when Caucasian communities run from diversity. Yeah. Continually out in suburbs. And I said, God has asked us to be here, to stay here, and we will organically embrace what God is bringing here because God wants to reach this whole city and Durham is a part of it. Right. And so that was the beginning of systematically praying for a multicultural church. Yeah. And uh, I mean, my doctorate's in that topic. You and I have traveled the world together. We have prayed for years. And then with great joy, it happened. Little by little, yeah. more people. Now there's 50 nations. Our staff has become more diverse. And this was an amazing moment. But I need to also stop and own up to something. Hmm. We prayed for multiculturalism. We wanted it. It's God's heart. And we're going to talk about that more in a minute. But though we were praying and publicly talking and preparing, we didn't understand even the implications of what that would mean. Right. So lots of people who love Jesus, who are people of color, joined our community. Mm -hmm. And as we tried integrating with each other, were hurt mostly unintentionally, sometimes intentionally, because there's just such, there was such low cultural intelligence. Yeah. And so I just want to say to any person who belongs to our community or did, who's a person of color, that we are profoundly sorry that we didn't prepare the church better for this moment. Yeah. We prayed for it. It was God-given. And now we're just at this moment where we have to wrestle this through. The, the way I've been talking about it with the board and uh, shared with Dave is we now, this moment uh, is a God-given gift, though it's a terrible moment, because it's a now uh, showing our church that we need to move from multiculturalism in attendance Yeah to multiculturalism in experience. Yeah, that's great, John. So we want to share with you eight concrete steps that we're going to be working on as a church to do this better. And these are the first eight yeah. concrete steps. And right. I know, and I'm just going to say this, I've done this for a while. You've done it longer than me. No matter what I say, no matter how much we say together, some of you are going to say, this is way too much. Others are going to say, this is not enough. I'm so upset. Others are going to say, what are you talking about? <laughs> and we're in a no-win situation. Right. But we're convinced that these are rooted in the biblical worldview. Yes. So step one, and this should be obvious, but it needs to be said. Yeah. We're going to keep preaching the gospel. <laughs> right. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. 
because the answer to racism, the answer to systematic racism is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Because the only way you change a society is you actually change a human being. And how do you change a human being? Through the power of the Holy Spirit and the acceptance of Jesus Christ. There is nothing more powerful on earth than the gospel of Jesus for right. the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Mm -hmm. You know, the Galatians 3, uh, 28, you know, there's neither Jew, Jew, Greek, slave, free, male, female, we're all one in Christ. That unity doesn't blow away or remove those distinctions. Right. You can be Nigerian, or Norwegian, and you don't lose that, yeah. but your unity and your diversity is found in Jesus, mm -hmm. which cannot be politically invented or, or forced or marched even. It has to be something that happens in the DNA of us. And that only happens when you embrace Christ. And as I've preached many times, and you have too, the end result of the gospel is the new heavens and the new earth. Yeah. And it says every tribe, every language, every tongue, uh, as we've said, overt races are going to hate heaven <laughs> because it is the antithetical yeah. yes. to actually what God wants to do. But what we also need to realize in this moment as we're talking about the gospel is that it is the answer and we cannot lose this in this right. moment. So that's the first thing. Second of all, Dave, why don't you talk about sin? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's so great, John. So appreciate that. Uh, yeah, we, we need to be super clear on this because I know for some people we just haven't been clear. And so we just want to take the opportunity today just so that everyone hears this very clearly and, and really clearly from, from John and I. Racism is sin. We, it's so simple to say and yet so difficult to work out and to comprehend. But, you know, as those who are followers of Jesus Christ, we are committed to the Word of God and to a biblical worldview. And, and so, we believe that the scripture teaches that all people are made in the image of God. It's what gives us our intrinsic value as human beings. So it doesn't matter, you know, where you're from. It doesn't matter what your skin color is. It doesn't matter which gender you are, that you are valuable and that we are equal in the sight of God. And so, you know, in this church, uh, we are against racism in all of its forms because it goes and it flies in the face of the Savior that we love. And, and even, you know, the ethic of Jesus and the command of Jesus to love one another, to love one another as Christ has loved us. How can we love one another right. and yet hate one another? Sure. It, it just goes it, it, so against, you know, everything that Jesus and the scripture teaches. I'm glad you just said it was complicated because yeah. it's complicated. And I'd like to go a little farther if I could. Mm. And this, I think, really matters. We need to recover the power of the word sin in our church. Mm -hmm. uh, when, when I stood up and said racism was sin, some people said to me, you're not being strong enough. And I went, excuse me? <laughs> uh, they said, well, you haven't said you're anti-racist. Let, me let me be John Thompson fundamentally clear. <laughs> sin is why hell exists. Right. Sin is the reason why the judgment of God is coming back according to Romans 1 and the world will end. Mm -hmm. So when we say something is sin in this church, we are anti that thing because that is antithetical to our God. Right. So what, am I anti-racist? We are anti-racist because we are anti-sin. As much as we are anti-drunkenness, anti-sexual immorality, that is sin. But we have to work this out more because actually the Bible speaks very directly about racism mm. in three forms, not one. And we have to be rooted in a scriptural worldview because when you are, actually no one gets out of the conversation. So the first thing is racism is I hate you because of your skin color. You're brown and I'm white, so I don't give you a job or I say bad things about you or I kill you. That is racism. Right. And it's based on skin color. But what's been lost, especially in the last six months, is the etymology of the word racism. 
race, ethnicity, not just skin color. Mm -hmm. The Bible talks about racism also in hatred between nations. So Greeks and Turks, yeah. right? Yeah. Bosnians and Serbians. This, this really is important that we catch right. this, right? Uh, Israelis and Palestinians. Mm -hmm. Dave, you, where did you grow up? I grew up in Northern Ireland. Right. Now, you came here as an immigrant, right? Right. Yeah. And so yeah. you actually have a lot of the negative experiences, even yourself, yeah, as, as an, an immigrant. immigrant. Yeah. But this is really important. Who were, what country were you taught to hate? <laughs> well, we were taught to hate the English because of all of the things that historically they did to the Irish. Right. So this matters. See, you were taught to hate English people mm. and they have the same skin color as you. Right. But you were taught to hate them because they're another country. Right. The Bible calls that racism. And so that has to be confronted. And it's like when I hang out with people from India and Pakistan. Yeah. They much of the time look very similar by skin color, though there's great diversity there. But they, there's hate because of so much tension, right. religion, politics. The third version is tribalism. Most of the African experience, most of actually the Asian experience today, and, and many other places on earth are still rooted in a tribal worldview. Right. And I've had the great privilege of traveling to 40 countries and interacting with this. And so much of the time, racism is actually within your own nation, but is against another tribe mm -hmm. because it's a lesser tribe. So John, why are you bringing all this up? Because I've had to deal with all three forms of this style of racism in this church. Mm -hmm. Someone said to me very strongly the other day, you know, you're just bringing this up to sort of water down the conversation almost. And I said, no, Toronto is the most multicultural city on earth and everyone brought their crap here. Yeah. It's all here. And so since it's all here, we as a church, because we have 50 nations, have to face down not one style, not two styles, but three styles. And if we're going to see Toronto transformed, we have to call all of it out. So we want to say to you, racism is sin. Mm -hmm. It's complex. We understand that... <laughs> We sort of understand, that's the better way of saying it, the complexity in society. But mm. from a biblical worldview, this is at least our starting point, yeah. and we need to go there. This brings me to the third step that we need to talk about. Uh, I've been so encouraged by the amount of very difficult conversations mm. that have happened over meals in our church. Right. So the Bible uses this word called fellowship, which if you grew up in church became a churchy word that we all threw out, the fellowship hall, some of you know <laughs> what I'm talking about. But, but the power of fellowship is when Christians gather together and they're together in a connect group, as an example. And what I've been so encouraged by is we have a growing amount of diverse connect groups where people from different backgrounds are together. And as they've been talking, they felt safe enough to talk about pain, racist experiences, et cetera. And the dialogue that happened and the arguments that happened and the prayer that happened was one of the greatest antidotes to disunity in our church. Yeah. And so we're doubling down. I want to say this again on connect groups, especially diverse connect groups. How can I actually support the bond of peace? Right. How can I continue to see this church succeed? I must be with people who love Jesus that are different from me because in this, there will be at least a greater bridge yeah. that might not be there. Yeah, that's great, John. So good. And then uh, another way, the fourth way, uh, the fourth step that we're taking is around staff training. I mean, we had some diversity training already uh, planned and we actually had it booked and then COVID hit and so we had to cancel that. Uh, but as, uh, you know, things have have grown and as we've learned so much more, uh, we're committing to even more than just diversity training. Uh, really, cultural intelligence is, is where we're hanging our hats on this in terms of the training that we are going to give to our staff and we're going to get as staff. Uh, cultural intelligence is this globally recognized way 
of uh, assessing and improving effectiveness in culturally diverse situations. Uh, and because there's so many cultures represented yep. in our church, that we need, we need something that is really robust, training that is robust to help us navigate the situations that we find ourselves in. And uh, for those of you who may not know, cultural intelligence and all of the research done there is, uh, is rooted in rigorous academic research from over a hundred countries around the world. And it helps people just to relate and to work effectively together, especially when these people are from different cultural backgrounds. And so we're going to be getting our whole staff training in that. And I think that that's really going to help us a lot of staff as we lead the change in this area around biblical multiculturalism. Uh, the fifth area that I want to talk about is this, uh, and that is uh, how our our board is actually getting involved in this. And yeah. I'm uh, you know, I'm so pr I'm so proud of the board that leads this church. I mean, what a great group of men who lead uh, so much behind the scenes, and yet they're so diligent in what they do here. Right. Over the last several years, most of you would never really have caught on to this because right. so much of it happens in the background. But there has been a very intentional effort to open up the leadership of this church to more people and to a greater diversity of people. See, back uh, in in the ancient days, years ago, yeah. uh, when I first came, you know, our membership model uh, was limited to only those people who were officially members. And so if there was 300 people and 150 of those are men, then, then our leadership pool in terms of the elders of the church was 150 people. But over the last several years, our board has led the charge in redefining our membership to a much better membership model now where it's gift-based ministry. But what that has done is opened up the leadership of our church to more and more people. Mm -hmm. And so now uh, people from all kinds of cultural backgrounds, all all kinds of people of color, the, the way is wide open for people to get involved in the leadership of this church. But that's what they've done. But they're even being more proactive in this conversation. And, and I love what the elders have decided to do is each one of the elders is going to be required now going into the future to begin to come alongside and to identify and to begin mentoring younger men who will then hopefully be great candidates for leadership in this church. And we're going to be very intentional about inclusivity in that, including people from different cultural backgrounds and people of color in that mix. And so I think that's a really great positive step, John. Yeah, it's just really good. And can I just clarify something just because we're talking here? Um, the old membership model, people of color could have been part of it. Of course. Yeah, yes. just to make that clear. What yes. was, but what's saying, said was it was just such a small membership group. Right. And most people don't think membership's that fun or exciting. Anyways, yeah. it's just the truth. Right. So now there's this moment where it was opened up to the whole church, and this proactive moment mm -hmm. is a real gift uh, for our church, and we're excited. Right. Next thing we want to talk about is staff and staff hiring. Uh, we want to say this explicitly. Do we want a more uh, diverse multicultural staff? Yes. Yes, 100%. <laughs> because how can we lead a church that is becoming more diverse if we are not more diverse ourselves. Of course we do. We took an organic approach before. It is now a key lens we'll be using. But I need to pause in this very tension, tension moment mm -hmm. and remind everyone that we're a church. Yeah. Uh, we're not a university. We're not a school system. We're not the firefighters. We're a church. And there's a key element for the last six months as I've listened to staff and board and blogs and good. I've been waiting for one person to say one word and I haven't heard it yet. Yeah. And it's the word sovereignty. 
So yes, are we gonna be diligent when we hire good staff? Yes. Are we gonna work on cultural sensitivity and, and intelligence? Yes. Are we praying and hoping and to be intentional that more and more people from so many different backgrounds join our staff? Yes. But who God chooses, that's the final say. Right. And I think we all need to do this. And I, listen, I wanna be very clear because some of you just threw something at your television. <laughs> okay, and this, and this matters. I'm not using this as an excuse. Right. I've seen churches go, well, it's, you know, it's God's sovereignty and we're all white. No, 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 no. <laughs> what I'm saying to you is this. God at the end of the day still leads this church. Yeah. And he runs this church and he knows who needs to be here. God at this moment has placed Dave and I here. He has. And so the question is, we're gonna do our due diligence but sovereignty has to have the final say. Mm. And we all have to agree to that because that's as biblical uh, as it gets. We want to talk about volunteers too. This yeah. is step seven. Uh, you wouldn't know this, but just before COVID, we started writing a volunteer handbook. We realized going to 10 locations, how are we going to train volunteers all in the same way? How are we going to help that help them know our convergence bias, for example? Yeah. But we also said, how do we empower volunteers in case something bad happens? Yeah. If they feel uncomfortable or they're unsure, how do we give them a voice? And so it wasn't based in this conversation originally, right. but you need to know that when we roll out the volunteer handbook to our whole church, there will be very direct ways, not only training cultural and basic cultural intelligence for our volunteers, because uh, remember, all 10 locations will probably have very diverse cultural makeups right. that won't look the same. Ajax will be different than Oakville. Oakville will be definitely different than Markham, et cetera. But if there is a moment where something happens in an inappropriate way, intentionally or not, there will be avenues to say, I think we need to deal with this, this racial moment well. Yes. Or I'm concerned. And so we want to make sure that you know we're being proactive in our volunteer training going forward that this yeah. is going to be unpacked. And yeah, I think great. it's really uh, significant. Sure. Yeah. And the final thing that I want to talk about is our global partners. Uh, I mean... Uh, Taking on some new global partners was always part of plan two, yeah. and, and we want to press ahead with that. Uh, we're on track with that, and, and, and we're, we're putting resources behind that. But one of the things, just one of the things is so important in the, as we talk about biblical multiculturalism that we need to remember is that we have chosen uh, these global partners because we believe that it's a mutually beneficial relationship, that we have things that we bring to the table and we want to bring those things to the table, but that also our partners, uh, our global partners, have also things that they bring to the table where they can help us. And so in this whole discussion on diversity, on biblical multiculturalism, I'm so glad that we have partners in India and Bangladesh and Uganda for now, and that we are learning and can learn from each other and can grow in relationship with one another because we're so different. We're so different, and yet we can learn so much uh, from each other. And so we need to remember that, and we need to stay connected to that and involved in that. But even beyond that, what I want to let everyone know today is that is that in the short term, over like the next 12 months, we're going to be looking for a new global partner. And we think it's really important that that new uh, partner that we look for and begin to explore who we're going to partner with has a focus on biblically informed justice. Right. We think that's vitally important. We, we have so much to learn there and we have so much to bring to the table, but we can be informed as a whole church and we're looking for a, a ministry that is doing it. Yeah. And doing it really well on even a global scale. And so uh, you can be praying about that and you can be thinking about that. And you can be sending us information if you know great organizations that, that are biblically informed and are just making great strides in this area. We would love to hear because we'd love to have 
the start of conversations, because it's a long process yeah. for us to find a global partner. We need to really date each other for a while. Yeah. We really need to get to know each other, you know, before we get married together, because partnership is that serious here at Sanctus Church. Yeah. The other thing we just want to say too that matters is anything we do globally, we do locally. Yes. That's why we use the word global. And so this is not just sort of like we're wiping our hands and going, hey, that's going to be over there. Yeah. No, no, no. If we do anything over there, we'll end up doing it here. Right. So that global partner will inform local partners connected to our sites. Right. But we're going to try to win this in the long way. So let me just end this section by saying we have lots to learn. <laughs> there's still lots of pain in the room. There's, uh, there's lots to walk through. And these are the first intentional steps we're taking, right. trying to do this better as a church and moving forward together as a church, well in the middle, not dividing and breaking. Right. And this is critical. So um, a lot's been said, <laughs> uh, and we just need to say, so what's the response? Mm -hmm. uh, first, if you're not in a connect group, yeah. you need to get in a connect group. Today. Uh, today. <laughs> and, and so like right after we're done speaking, the hosts are going to tell you how to do that. And again, like I want to repeat this. If you're watching later, uh, you're watching this online somewhere else, you reach out to us because we in this virtual age can connect you immediately yes. in a connect group. So this is critical. Number two, we need to know who's open to opening their home, that is, to launch a house site. Right. Whether in one of the locations we're not in, Lindsay, Oakville, North York, for example, Stouffville, or beyond that, yeah. or in Ajax, or Whitby. And you might be going, well, I'm open, but what does it mean? Are we wearing masks? What are the... We'll tell you all about that. Right. But the hosts are going to let you know how to even go to those next steps. But the two main things is personally joining a connect group, be open to a house site, pray about it, help us launch multiple house sites. And lastly, Dave, where are we going to end? Yeah, well, we need to end with communion. Right. Uh, I mean, all that we've been talking about this morning is about us together as a whole church. And we need to remember that what brings us together is Jesus. Right. And so it just seems so fitting and so right for us to end with communion together. Yeah, and why? Because some of us are angry right now. Some of us are sad right now. Some of us are excited. Some of us are bored. Right. But Jesus is the one who brings us together. Right. So why don't you get ready at home? Yeah. And we're going to take this together now. So hey, Sanctus Church, now is the time when we get to celebrate communion together. And so as we always say at our church, if you love the Lord Jesus, whether you're doing well or not, this is an, a time where you're invited to come and to remember what Jesus has done for us. He is the one who brings us together and forming one people for himself. And so on the night that he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus uh, took the bread, which represents his body, and he broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. So I invite you, let's eat together and remember the Lord Jesus. In the same way, after supper, the Lord Jesus took the cup and said, this cup represents my blood, which will be shed for you. Because the Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission, no forgiveness of sins. And so we remember Jesus' death for us. Drink together in remembrance of all that he has done for us. And so, Lord Jesus, we thank you. We praise you. We give you all of the glory and all of the honor for everything that you have done for us. And we welcome you 
into all that we are doing in our individual lives and our life as a church. May all of the praise, all of the glory go to you, God our Father, blessed Lord Jesus, and comforter Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, Lord bless you.